Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are coming off of an absolutely hectic kind of week. We had the NBA launching last Tuesday. We had Christmas Eve on Thursday. We had the Saints game on Christmas Day Friday. We had the three-game slate on Saturday. We had a 10-game slate with the worst wide receiver pool I've ever seen on Sunday. Really was a wild one. I thought the big story of the week 16 slate, at least on DraftKings, was the wide receiver position and how to think about it from a higher level, from a more macro position strategy. I thought just about every wide receiver on the slate was overpriced on DraftKings. You know, Tyreek at 9,000 with the hamstring, Calvin Ridley, 8,500 in a difficult matchup outside. You know, a bunch of thin punts with like borderline NFL players like Marvin Hall and Cam Sims and AJ Green and Jalen Guyton. So what I thought the right strategy was, and and honestly, I don't know if it was right, but what I thought the right strategy was to accept that we were going to overpay a little bit for each of our wide receivers, but instead of overpaying in a big way for one spot and then just praying and hoping to squeeze out six, seven, eight, nine points elsewhere, I thought it was right to take on three wide receivers with big ceilings in a more balanced build. Three guys who can get me 30 and hope that one of them does, you know, instead of just relying on one to get me 30. So instead of something like, say, Tyreek, Cam Sims, and Marvin Hall, I went Deontay Johnson, T. Higgins, and Big Mike Williams. Also considered Brendan Cooks in the Deontay spot. Also considered DJ Moore, Allen Robinson in lineups that had Hurts, Jalen Hurts over Mahomes. But anyway, the actual players aren't really my point here. My point is more that it was a unique slate for wide receivers and the way I tried to think about it. I mean, Results-wise, it wasn't great, but I got 33 targets from my three wide receivers and only spent 15500 You know, that's exceptional. You know, T. Higgins was one yard short of the bonus. Big Mike egregiously dropped a touchdown. You know, certainly could have been better. You know, I could have gone Crowder over Big Mike at the same price. You know, maybe should have. But the thing about that is my stuff comes, you know, with all the Jets redacted from my sheets in my player pool. So, and I honestly like, you know, that's been the right move all year, you know, like redacting Jets. I think people with their heads too far, you know, up the asshole of the spreadsheets keep playing Mims and they keep getting Mims popping and, you know, dude had an airball again, but Crowder's role is different. So I, I, I get that a little bit more. Maybe I should not have redacted Crowder. But anyways, speaking of airballs, I wanted to talk about our XFL hero, Donald Parham for a minute. You know, first of all, on the play, yeah, you know, it looked bad. He only had two catches. He got out-targeted by fellow tight end Steven Anderson. You know, by by the way, I was going to tweet a joke along the lines of something like, you know, Donald Parham getting out-targeted by Steven Anderson is the worst thing to happen in 2020. Uh, But I was afraid that they'd cancel me. You know, people wouldn't get the joke and and they'd cancel me. So I didn't do it. But anyways, uh, on Donald Parham, look, I mean, he ended up playing 81% of the snaps. 20 of those, he was slot or wide, ran 28 routes on 38 Justin Herbert dropbacks, saw three targets. For nine percent share, you know, did come up with a two forty-seven zero line, which honestly at twenty-five hundred isn't that bad, you know, but it's not great. But you know, maybe getting to Austin Hooper at thirty-five hundred on a slate where we had plenty of money was better, you know, maybe Kelsey. But more about the Parham stuff. Uh, what stood out to me more was his ownership in tournaments. You know, Donald Parham was only seven point five percent owned in the Millie Maker, seven point five percent. Travis Kelsey was thirty-one percent. Austin Hooper twenty-four. Logan Thomas, 16, Dallas Goddard, 10, and then Parham at seven. 
And that was pretty surprising to me, you know, given what we've seen in the past on ownership with punt tight ends like Anthony Ferkser and Kyle Rudolph, you know, given how excited people were about Parham, given Keenan Allen out, given the game environment, given the price, you know, I think Tyreek Hill's injury shifted a lot of ownership to Kelsey. And then the Browns wide receiver stuff, all of them getting ruled out, shifted a lot to Austin Hooper. But still, you know, surprising for Parham to come in fifth. And one thing I wanted to take away was that projections on Parham were really tame, you know, in other spots. You know, we had a, I don't even want to call it aggressive. I thought we had a, a pretty conservative projection on Parham. We still had Kelsey and Hooper has better values. Um, but we know, you know, other people are even more tame on Parham. And we know how many people out there in the DFS world are just taking optimizers and blindly firing lineups with no thought, you know, not doing the things that Dink has gone over about how to actually use an optimizer thoughtfully and win with it. So one thing that we've talked about, you know, internally at ETR, and we're going to do for next year in an effort to get our ownership projections even better is to implement something along these lines, you know, implement projections from around the industry we think are impactful to get a baseline for what people are going to do and then adjust from there. So I'm excited about that. Anyway, as for tournaments, I had five GPP teams in week 16. Best one was a Deshaun Watson triple. Watson with Brendan Cooks, Kihi Kute, and Jordan Aikens. You know, I was really happy with the ownership there. Deshaun Watson, 11%. Brandon Cooks, 11%. Kiki, 5%. Jordan Aikens, 1%. Uh, that was in the spin move, which is the single entry on DraftKings with 462 entries. You know, as, as we've talked about plenty before, I would not play a triple stack in a large field tournament. Like, I wouldn't play uh, Deshaun Watson triple in the Millie Maker because it's almost impossible for all of Cooks, Kute, and Aikens to find, you know, their 95th or 97th percentile outcome, you need to win the Millie Maker. But in this smaller field tournament, again, 462 entries, getting two of these three right with Deshaun Watson and one, you know, just kind of average or even bad, I could still win. Um, unfortunately, you know, Deshaun threw one of his touchdowns to David Johnson and one to Darren Fells. And so the triple wasn't great, but still think the idea was right. Brought it back with T. Higgins, uh, who I thought was one of the better players on the slate. You know, I really wanted to fade Eckler and David Montgomery and Le'Veon Bell in tournaments, not because I didn't like them, but simply because they were overpriced. You know, I played DeMont and Eckler in cash, but I knew I was overpaying for the floor ceiling combo on a slate with not much to feel good about. So anyway, on, on this team, I went Jonathan Taylor, you know, no Jordan Wilkins, uh, quietly reasonable spot against the Steelers kind of uh, receding defense a little bit and got Jonathan Taylor at 1.7%. Also, my other running back was Miles Sanders, who came in pretty highly owned 22%, but I was happy with that. Um, lucky to land on Panthers defense against Dwayne Haskins. They get 21 points, which is absurd, obviously. You know, finished 23rd. It was a good run, but not quite good enough. Speaking of triple stacks, uh, Chipotle won a bunch of small field stuff this this week with Dalton, Lamb, Gallup, and Amari. Dalton triple, no bring back. And I'm not really making any big takeaways uh, here. I, I just thought it was interesting construction, you know, given how popular the you have to bring it, bring it back movement is now. Um, I think there's some merit to just just not. Uh, but I don't know about that. You know, I, I know Dink and Leone have thought that through some. One thing about the Dalton triple is like, I didn't really like any Eagles bring backs either. I liked Miles Sanders, but if you're looking for pass game bring backs, I agree there wasn't really a lot to chew on. So we'll look at that in the offseason and think about what the field is doing versus what's winning. Um, and certainly have some stuff for you guys on that. Okay, 
Before we get to today's listener questions, wanted to remind everyone that this show is brought to you by our good friends at Establish the Run NBA. Yes, our NBA team is covering Hoops DFS just as thoroughly and thoughtfully as we cover the NFL with projections, top plays, live shows. I'm doing props a couple times a week. Check it out on the site. Okay, enough is enough. It is time for everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. Okay, got a ton of good ones. Really appreciate the questions as always. I actually got so many good ones that I'm gonna let a bunch of them spill over into next week. So if you didn't get your question answered this week, be sure to check back next week. Gonna do eight of them today. Question one comes from Kinseth. He says, Adam, what is the GTO attire in anticipation of winning the Will Fuller versus Marquise Brown bet for the pants off sex? Is it something like those quick snap pants the NBA players wear for quick entry into the game? Or does Gender Labs LLC have some new technology? Yeah, man, th- those quick snap pants are, are great. You know, every member uh, of the team should own, you know, at least seven pairs of those quick snap pants, one for each day of the week. You know, you know, just never know when you're going to be called upon uh, for duty. As for the Marquise versus Fuller bet, um, you know, I, I had a tweet uh, during the summer, you know, maybe August or so, something about how incredibly rare it is for guys under 180 pounds to have good fantasy seasons. Like, legit almost never happens. You know, and I and I get that there's outliers. Um, Deshaun Jackson, and I think Tyreek's over 180, but whatever, you could, you could uh, say Tyreek Hill, but identifying those outliers is so much harder than people think. But anyways, uh, back to Marquise, you know, not only is he under 180, but he's playing with a shaky throwing quarterback in an extreme run-heavy offense with a Liz Frank injury on his resume. Like it wasn't a great tweet that I made because 180 pounds is such an arbitrary endpoint. And I hate stats like that, that include arbitrary endpoints. But anyway, I mean, people were just so angry about this tweet that anyone would say anything bad about Marquise Brown, Burbank Brown. And obviously, you know, like I got a ton wrong before the season, tons, and I'll get a ton wrong in the future. Um, and by the way, we're going to do podcasts once the season is over, once the playoffs is over, Evan and I'll go back through everything we said before the season and talk about what we got wrong and what we got right. But anyways, on Marquise, I was just trying to present a bear case on fake Hollywood on East Hollywood. And people were like, so angry, like they're so sure, you know, and I appreciate conviction, but you know, it's fucking fantasy football, man. Like same thing with the Josh Allen stuff. You know, like when we were talking about Josh Allen to win MVP, Josh Allen to be an elite fantasy quarterback i mean people were like legit angry it's just wild but yeah you know i'm happy to win the fuller over hollywood bet need to fade uh 40 points from marquise in week 17 to do it and do it in humiliating fashion by the way the best way to do it you know will fuller only played 11 games of course marquise is going to play 16 you know not even these like idiot haters who say uh, Fuller only did it because because he was on peds, Adam. He never would have survived. He never would have played so well if he wasn't on peds. You know, not even those people can bring me down. You know, like uh, how naive do you have to be to think that 99% of the NFL is not on peds? I mean, come on. Question two from the FF child. He says, what do you think the future of work will be like for this next generation? My daughter just turned two and I want to help her find her passion but also develop useful skills. 
Yeah, it's a tough one, man. I, I think to some degree, you have to let your kids find their own path, you know, their own way in life. What, one thing that I think makes sense is to just try to be forward thinking with them. Like no one should be practicing handwriting with kids or maybe they shouldn't be practicing typing either. I mean, by the time your two-year-old is in college or in the workforce, like voice to text will almost certainly be standard. But yeah, anything with computers or coding or tech, I mean, obviously going to be incredibly valuable. I mean, imagine if 10 years ago, you know, you taught, you learned everything there's to know about self-driving cars or the marijuana business. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe there's still time in those. I don't know. But but yeah, being first is really valuable and, and way more valuable than being right. You know, I think, and I've been guilty of this in the past, like placing such a big emphasis on being right when being first is actually more valuable. Like, you know, even for me, like I wasn't really first, but I was definitely very early in the whole like talking about fantasy football on Twitter game. Like literally been doing it since 2009, 11 plus years of talking about fantasy football on Twitter. Um, obviously that went a long way towards building an audience. And then like, uh, you know, in terms of DFS, I definitely wasn't even close to being clean first in DFS, but among the more mainstream, you know, quote unquote fantasy people, like I was one of the first, I think, to go all in on DFS in like 2014, 2015. But I didn't even really like think about it like that back then. It wasn't like some strategy. I literally just love to play DFS, like for so many reasons. But I really just love to play and analyze and talk about DFS. So, uh, you know, this is all a long way of saying, I don't know, FF child. Like, I'm honestly just trying to make sure my kids stay alive and don't kill each other or another kid. You know, I haven't gotten to developing skills yet, really. Question three comes from Clem Saucy. He says, I moved to Philadelphia three years ago and I'm looking to buy a house. Where is an up and coming neighborhood? Or maybe Chateau Levitan is a possibility. Nice, man. Yeah. Well, uh, Chateau Levitan is definitely a possibility. You know, I'll sell it to you for the low, low friend price of, uh, you know, $2.6 million or so. Um, I wouldn't say, I'm kidding, by the way, my house is hardly worth anything, but uh, I wouldn't say our neighborhood is up and coming. It's just like legit the best if you're young-ish and have kids. Um, our neighborhood's called Bella Vista. I mean, we're right downtown, but everyone in the neighborhood has kids and dogs and the restaurants are kid-friendly and there's tons of parks and playgrounds. You know, it's just the best. Um, I don't have very many real estate takes. I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, one thing I, I really do believe though and um, it's just my opinion, but I, I really do believe that you shouldn't look at your primary home, aka where you live, as an investment, right? Like, this is your life. You know, this is where you spend all your time. I couldn't care less if my primary is going to appreciate at the same rate as if I bought in some shaky area that projects to get nice. And, you know, in that shaky area, maybe over the next five years, I can, you know, 1.5x my money. Over the next 10 years, 1.5x my money. Like, not everything in life has to be some plus EV investment, especially especially not your home. So yeah, I guess I wouldn't worry about up and coming if I was you. I would worry just more about like finding the best neighborhood, the best house for life, for for you living, you know, not the best for your money. And that's subjective, obviously. But in Philly, I would say any of Rittenhouse, Bella Vista, Society Hill, Fiddler Square, those would be my, my personal favorites. Question four from Harry. How much would someone have to pay you to get a tattoo and what would you get? Yeah, so I'm pretty anti-needles. Like definitely wouldn't do it on a whim. Definitely wouldn't do it for like quote unquote art. Like 
you know, I'm sorry, like the barbed wire around the bicep, you know, that that's not for me. But I've thought about this plenty. And yes, I know what I want. It is a portrait of Jerry's face on my left arm. You know, the right arm is for tweeting. That one stays clean, of course. The left one, Jerry's face. And we'll see. Maybe one day I'll get it. Um, maybe one day I'll get it. Uh, question five is uh, from two people, actually. Vidal says, will you still be playing cash in week 17 like a sick fish? Or will you be strictly joining the GPP bros? And from Will, he says, for week 17, do you scale back, play the same amount of contests, or increase your role allotment? Any differences for cash versus GPP players? Yeah, so I think there's some general misconception here. Yes, week 17 is hard. It's more confusing. There are motivation issues and, and players have, um, you know, there's people that, players that people have never heard of in big roles. It's a 15-game slate. I mean, it's overwhelming and a lot of work. But that creates some of the biggest edge we'll have all season. So, yes, I'm playing cash. Um, I'll likely play cash for main slate, uh, 1 p.m. only and 4 p.m. only. And since I think I have an edge in a setup, like this, you know, I'll be willing to play bigger. You know, we also have the tax situation that I discussed last week. And it's also the last full NFL slate for a long time. The playoff slates are great. I love them, but this is the last full slate for a long time. So yeah, I'll be in there firing at uh, tournaments too. It's a great week. Uh, one of my favorites. Question six from Joe. He says, how much would you need to be paid to attend New Year's Eve in Times Square in a normal year? 18 hours in a New York winter with no cell service and no bathroom access. He says people either hold it the whole time or wear a diaper and you're jammed into Times Square with a million other drunk people. Yeah, so I don't think this is true, man. And uh, I, the way you're describing it, I don't think it's true. I, the only way I know this is because I, I did it. I mean, I didn't do what Joe is describing, but one year for New Year's, um, we made like a late dinner reservation at a restaurant, like half a block or a block from Times Square. And by doing this, it allowed us to literally walk like real close to the ball drop at like 11.45 p.m. You know, it didn't stand there. I didn't stand out there all day and all night like a donkey. You know, it was actually a sick play. But, you know, come on, man. There's no way people are wearing diapers. There's no way people are holding it for 18 hours. I'm sure there's porta potties out there. You know, I'm sure it's disgusting. But it's an experience, you know. Like, it doesn't sound like an enjoyable experience to me personally. But I, I don't want to write off experiences. So, so, yeah, I mean, I'd rather do that than go to an NFL game, I think. Maybe. I mean, NFL game is just a nut low, so. Question seven from Ted Bird. He says, you recommended in your ebook to play three man and 10 man for higher ceilings along with heads up. What are three man and 10 man and where can I find them on DraftKings? Well, yes, of course, Ted is referring to Skin to Fur, of course, uh, one of the most influential novels of our generation available on Amazon, of course. Uh, so I was actually referring to three and 10 mans and these are just, you know, uh, a contest with three people in it or a contest with 10 people in it in the, in the three man's it's winner take all in the 10 mans, the first three spots get paid. Um, but I was actually referring to them on FanDuel, uh, not on DraftKings. I'm not really sure why, but the three and 10 man games on DraftKings, there's just not a lot of liquidity in them. Like they just don't pop. They're just not very popular. But on FanDuel, I mean, dear God, the action in the three and 10 mans is so sick. Um, so that's what I was referring to. And that reminds me, you know, like I know this podcast and our content has skewed a bit towards DraftKings this season. And like, believe me, there's no underlying motivation there. There's nothing like nefarious going on. It's just DraftKings is a deeper game. It's much more complex. Like FanDuel is not as good to talk about because it's just so straightforward so often. You don't have to dig deep on players. Like Marvin Hall is never, ever, ever in play, you know? Um, guys are so egregiously mispriced 
so often on FanDuel that it's just, you know, not that hard and it's not that uh, thoughtful to think about. Now, all that said, we do plan and I plan to focus more on FanDuel next season. You know, I might play bigger actually on FanDuel than DraftKings. Um, I'm not sure. I, I have a lot of results and other stuff to look over, but but we'll see. All right, question eight from Corey. Last question we're going to do today. He says, what is the GTO strat for having to pee, but there are only two stalls and it's dead quiet with the person in the stall pants around the ankles taking a deuce? Do you stew in the awkwardness and let it flow or come back later, thus avoiding the sound of a splash right next to you? Yeah, good question. Good question. I have a lot of experience here. Um, well, actually, you know, not a lot as I haven't really had very many actual jobs where I go into an office, but it's crazy though, man. Like anytime I have worked in an office and I've gone into the bathroom, always, there's always someone in there taking a shit and it never fails. It's wild. Like either I'm running incredibly bad in this spot or the stiffs in the office just love to shit while they're on the clock. And I get that, right? Like why waste valuable time at home dropping the kids off at the pool when you could be burning time when you're supposed to be, you know, I don't know, grinding TPS reports or whatever. So yeah, look, it's incredibly awkward. I think it's incredibly awkward for the person in the stall when someone comes in to piss. Like you think you're in there, you can get all, you know, you think you're in there alone. You know, you can get all willy nilly with the farting and the noises and the grunts or the exhales or whatever. And then someone comes in to pee and you have two options. You can either continue as if no one is there or you can try to bottle it up. And the worst part is, you know, when someone walks in, they're just immediately hit with the wall of stench like it's got to be so embarrassing and and that's my big thing you know I don't want to be a couple feet away from some from someone shitting like that stall wall is not enough so ideally if someone is in there I reverse course and I come back later or I find another bathroom but if I can't do that you know I go to the patented t-shirt nose tent you know if you guys are watching on YouTube I'm t-shirt nose tent right um hold my breath and get in and out as fast as possible. You know, don't really have any other options. All right, that's gonna do it for today's solo pod. Be sure to head to the site to check out NBA. Be sure to head to YouTube where producer Luke is absolutely crushing it with the free content up on YouTube. Hit subscribe there, it's free. A lot of NBA slates coming up, man. Should be a lot of fun. Good luck to everybody in week 17. I wanted to note that the team by team pods with Silva this week, due to no games until Sunday, due to all the stuff that we have to digest with motivation and injuries. We're actually gonna record the team-by-team pods on Thursday afternoon. So those will be up Thursday night for your listening pleasure. Okay, for producer Luke, for Jerry, I'm Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) 